you may remember that last week when we had just heard the story of Hagar and Ishmael being expelled from the household of Abraham and Sarah, a request of Sarah's that the Lord told Abraham to go along with, that I raised the question, did it have to happen this way? This week I have the same question about Abraham's near sacrifice of Isaac, again at God's command. Last week we talked about God's word being both incisive and healing. <clears throat> the scalpel and stitches, so to speak, that God uses to operate on us. Today's readings are very much the scalpel still in action. They hurt. They remind us how different God is from us and how alien his ways sometimes seem. That's one reason that we use the semi-continuous track of the Revised Common Lectionary as our schedule of Bible readings, because it contains the hard stories. It doesn't get a, let us get too comfortable or complacent around God. By way of illustration, in the first book of the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis introduces the character Aslan to the Pevensey children as follows. Aslan asked Susan. Aslan asked, said Mr. Beaver, why don't you know he's the king? It is he, not you, that will save Mr. Tumnus. Is he a man? asked Lucy. Aslan a man? said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he's the king of the wood and son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of beasts? Aslan is a lion. The lion. The great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. He is the king, I tell you. Like Aslan, God isn't safe, but he is good. He doesn't always do things the way that we would. But God never commands us to critique his ethics or to explain away the hard things that we read in the Bible. What we can say is that, Genesis, that in Genesis 22, God tells Abraham to do a terrible thing, to sacrifice his son, and also that God saves Abraham from doing it, and Isaac from being sacrificed. And through it all, neither Abraham nor Isaac refused to obey God. If that makes you want to change religions, you're not alone. Christianity is not easy medicine to swallow. And the God we worship is certainly not the God that we would invent. But that's also why I'm staying right here in his church, 
worshipping the true and living God rather than a counterfeit synthetic God that I've created in my own image. And I invite you to stay here with me and listen to God's challenging but also comforting word. To quote the Apostle Peter in John 6 verse 68, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. The rescue of Abraham and Isaac from the act of sacrifice was not only miraculous and dramatic, but also traumatic. And in that way, it prepares us for our epistle lesson from Romans 6, which describes God's rescue of us from enslavement, from binding to sin. Because we often treat sin as much less serious than it actually is, especially if there's no obvious victim. But by prefacing our reading of Romans 6 with the story of the binding of Isaac, we're reminded that God's rescue of us from sin was no light undertaking either. It was costly and painful and violent. It brought to light many of the worst vices that infect us and need excision. Paul likens our bondage to sin to a kind of tyranny to which we often willingly submit and don't want to leave, even though its wages is death. It's from Romans 6 and similar passages that Martin Luther developed his idea of the bondage of the will. That is, that our will isn't a kind of free radical, but is, but is going to be subject to something. If not to God, then to sin. And to move us from being bound to sin to being bound to God required an immense and traumatic sacrifice by God. God spared Abraham and Isaac, but he didn't spare himself. No, father and son made the sacrifice that Abraham and Isaac, and now we, have been spared. Therefore, urges Paul in Romans 6, verses 12 and 13, do not let sin exercise dominion in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. No longer present your members to sin as instruments of wickedness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. That dramatic. And present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Karol Wojtyła, the Polish priest who eventually became Pope John Paul II, was fond of saying, Freedom consists not in doing what we like, but in having the right to do what we ought. He recognized that a Christian understanding of freedom is more than simply the ability to do what we want. 
Freedom is more than license, more than unconstrained willfulness. Paradoxically, the free will is not a randomized, a random haphazard, I'll do whatever I would like will, but is aligned with God's will. It has direction and connection. It's not a loose cannon and untethered to anything, but is bound to our Creator, Redeemer, and Savior, who is not safe, but good, who bound Himself to our human nature in order to deliver us from sin, death, and the grave. Thanks be to God, the Savior, Rescuer, and Deliverer of Abraham and Isaac, and of us. Thanks be to God who did not shirk trauma, but entered our fallen and traumatized world as the man Jesus Christ, to tether God's nature to ours, and by whose death and resurrection we have been delivered from captivity to sin and death. He bound himself to us so that we might live free. And we, bound to him in holy baptism and clad in his righteousness, are now heirs of his glorious, righteous, and eternal kingdom. To him be all praise and glory, now and forever. Amen.